As you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, we'll start there and then we'll go over to Mark chapter 15. Dr. Joel prayed everything that was on my heart to pray for you. But I'm also going to pray again with her and with all of you because the Lord let's just pray Father thank you as we sang those words today they were not only our offerings of praise they were also petitions we were praying by faith that you would turn certain situations around that you would heal bodies minds relationships we were praying and believing by faith that if you did it before you can do it again and we just don't have to read what you did for the children of Israel to know that you can part a Red Sea we don't just have to read what you did for Israel when you knocked the walls of Jericho down. We just don't have to read of how you protected Daniel in the lion's den and protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We just don't have to read the miracles in Scripture. Lord, number one, we're made in your image. We've been born again. We are walking miracles of grace. We know what you can do. You've done great things in our lives that as Jewel said, no one can take the credit for but you. And you allow our faith to get tested so that we can know that you are a way maker. So that we can know that you are a promise keeper. So that we can know that you are a miracle working God. You allow us to go through things so that all we can do is lift up our eyes to the hills. From whence come our help? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so, Lord, we come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in our time of need, asking for help. Lord, one group of parents just shared with me that their son has a job coming out of college. I know of another family, Lord, whose children are experiencing and receiving scholarships going to college and they know you as a way maker. And then, Lord, there are others who are waiting on you. May they realize, Lord, that they're, as they're in the presence of people who've seen you come through, may they realize you're no respecter of persons and you're an on-time God. Thank you for the community of faith, the brothers and sisters, where we can come together bear one another's burdens and pray for one another and encourage one another all the more as we see the day of your return fastly approaching. I thank you, Lord, that as we're holding on to you, you're holding on to us. Father, would you help me preach your word right now? Would you help me communicate as best I can? Would you give your people ears to hear what you want to say this morning? And may we never leave it in the building. May we take the word, the truth with us and live it and apply it in the world. Because you've called us to be salt. You've called us to be light. You've called us to be ambassadors. You've called us to represent the interests of the kingdom of God on earth. May we recognize who we are and whose we are. Grant us holy boldness to stand and having done everything to stand. Help us to love the lost. Help us to feed the hungry. Help us to clothe the naked. Help us to visit those who are in prison and those who are in hospitals. May we walk, Jesus, even as you walked. So may we not think it strange of the fiery trials that try us. May we not think it strange when modern day Pharisees seek to stone us or even crucify us. But may we recognize, Lord, that because of you, we're more than conquerors. You've changed our lives, and we love you for that. We wouldn't have a life if it wasn't for you. So we bless you, we honor you in Jesus' name. 
all of God's people said, amen. When you came in today, you were handed palm branches. Because as my wife and Jewel so eloquently noted, this Sunday represents the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem where the people in that moment acknowledged his kingship. They acknowledged that he was the Messiah in that moment. And the palm branches represent deliverance. The palm branches go all the way back to the book of Exodus when the children of Israel had come through the Red Sea and they were rejoicing in that moment, but then they couldn't find water for three days. And they struggled and they began to complain and gripe. They forgot what God could do as a way maker just three days prior. But God was testing their faith. And he led them to a place called Elam, where there were 70 palm trees and there was water for everyone. So the palm trees, the palm branches speak of deliverance and waving the palm branches saying Savior, which is what Hosanna means. Hosanna, Hosea, save us or save your blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's saying you are our deliverer. You are our Savior. And we celebrate you. We honor you. But we know that those choruses of praise would soon turn to chants, murderous chants, where the Pharisees would induce the crowd to shout, crucify him, crucify him. And so you were handed palm branches coming in. But what if, what if you were handed a cross coming in? It's a different mindset and temperament with a cross and you weren't handed a cross coming in because technically if you are a follower of Jesus Christ you already have one you already have a cross and that's what I want to talk about today because a cross was an instrument of torture it was an instrument of death and in that culture, it was reserved for the vilest of criminals. And yet Jesus, when he spoke of what a disciple was, he mentioned carrying a cross within that context. That coming to him might just require physical death. That being one of his followers definitely requires spiritual or personal death to self. But nevertheless, a cross has been assigned to each and every one of his followers. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 34. He, he's just commissioned his 12, and he's sending them out. Because you can't always sit in the synagogue and hear a good sermon. You, you just can't always sit in someone's house and hear a good word. The purpose of getting that word is to go out. And so he sends them out to the lost sheep of Israel. And he tells them, I'm giving you power to cast out demons. I'm giving you power to heal the sick. I'm giving you power to open the eyes of the blind. And I'm also giving you power to preach my word. And so as he sends them out, he wants to remind his disciples that when you preach about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God, that this stuff is not easy believism. Um, to follow Jesus, to come under Rabbi Jesus was going to cost you something. Yeah, you're going to get something. You're going to gain more than you could ever give, but you will have to give something. Because as he says in verse 34 of Matthew 10, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So stop right there for a minute. 
Jesus is not contradicting himself in any way. He is lion and he is lamb. He is grace and he is truth. Sometimes we want to make them all lamb and little lion, or a whole lot of lion and a little lamb, or a whole lot of truth and not enough grace. But he is perfectly balanced in all ways. And, and, and what he's saying here may not sound like what many of us grew up hearing about Jesus because we chose to piece and parcel the Bible and just read the parts we like and walk away from the parts that cause us to scratch our heads and feel like we're being challenged. Because a sword in those days was used to bring division. It, it would cut. And so Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, even though when he was born, there was peace on earth because the Prince of Peace was born, okay? But in the midst of that peace, there would be conflict. He says, for I have come to set a man against his father. Wait a minute, Jesus, really? Hang on. A daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you came to bring the family together. He did. But following him, for real, can separate a family. And that's what he's getting at here, okay? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So Peter, James, John, Philip, Andrew, when y'all go out and preach about the kingdom of God and that I am the Messiah, let folk know that I must come first in their lives over every relationship there is. I must come first. Otherwise, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And so Jesus is prioritizing himself because the book of Colossians lets us know that he is preeminent. He is above all things. He is before all things. He is worthy to be number one in our lives because he's God in the flesh. And not only is he worthy because he's God, he's also worthy because he came to save fathers and mothers and mother-in-laws and father-in-laws and sons and daughters. And because he came to be the savior to do what no other person could do and what we could not do for ourselves, he deserves to be first place. No other God should come before the son of God. Not even your mama, not even your daddy, not even your delightful, lovable Cute kids. Jesus is saying, look, 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 count the cost here. Verse 38, and he who does not take his cross, there it is, and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life, or that means seeks to save his life, will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 38 says, and he who does not take his cross or her cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So when you become a disciple, a student, a pupil, a learner, a follower of Jesus, you receive a cross, a death instrument. And there were believers who literally died on crosses because they followed the one, the king, who also died on the cross. So following Christ there's a cost to it. Yes, there's great reward, but we can't skip the cross to get to the crowns because Jesus didn't. Satan tried to get him to bypass Calvary, to have all the nations bow down to Jesus. He tempted him with the people of the world, and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He had to go through the cross, to the cross, to get to the crown where he's seated at the right hand of God. And the same is true for his followers, and to really grasp what this means, to, to really look at what it means to be a cross-carrying Christian. Not a card-carrying Christian, but a cross-carrying Christian. We have a demonstrative example laid right before us. Simon of Cyrene teaches us how to be a cross-bearer. Simon of Cyrene shows us how to carry our crosses. Now, when we look at art and movies, I typically don't like to watch Christian movies because they're so whitewashed. I won't get into that right now, but 
I typically don't like to watch these depictions of Bible days because they're not historically or ethnically accurate, in my opinion. So I don't like watching them. And the ones I do watch, especially around this time when we get to when Christ is carrying his cross, and as we're going to read today about Simon, Simon coming to help Christ with the cross, usually, usually, Hollywood gets that part right and makes Simon a brother. They make him a black man. Because as we're going to see today, he came from Cyrene, which is in northern Africa, what we call today Libya. Hmm. And so when I look at the Passion of the Christ movie, probably the most famous movie concerning the Passion Week of Jesus and the suffering of Christ produced directed and co-written by Mel Gibson coming out in 2004. When I watch that, it's hard to watch because of the violence. I've probably only watched it twice. Um, they do a, a decent job of capturing the suffering that the servant went through, Jesus. And when they get to the part where Jesus is on what is called the Via Dolorosa and he is walking to Calvary and he cannot bear his own cross, Simon comes to help him. Simon the Cyrenian, Simon the African. But in Mel Gibson's depiction, Simon is called a Jew. And nowhere in the Bible is Simon called a Jew. So they take license with that. That is not consistent with Scripture, which is another reason I don't like always watching these movies because I'm so busy watching saying, okay, that's with Scripture, that's not with Scripture. So I'm a little Pharisee when I'm watching. But they have a very light-skinned person of color playing Simon. This person of color, very light-skinned, they call him a Jew. And so I was disappointed when I saw that depiction. But there was a movie that came out in 1965. It was called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And it was the story of Jesus. And they had some old white dude playing Jesus. If you ever seen that movie, man, he's an old-looking Jesus, white guy with blue eyes. Uh, but they did get Simon right. They chose Sidney, the late Sidney Poitier, to play Simon of Cyrene. Thank God we have a dark brother playing Simon. Again, some people may be like, Pastor, what's the point? Yeah, you, you just need to rewind some of my messages. I, I can't stop and go chase that rabbit right now. But we say we want to be biblically correct. That's closer to the scriptures. But, but why can't Simon look like this picture? You guys got the third picture? Why, why, why can't he look like this picture? Why can't he look like this next picture? And finally, why, why, why can't he look like this picture? You see a dark Jesus and a dark Simon. Why can't Simon of Cyrene look this way? I think deep down, here's one reason why people take liberty to change the historical biblical narrative. Because God in his sovereignty chose to give this honor of carrying the cross of Jesus to an African. And for some people, that's too much honor. So they have to rewrite it, re-imagine uh, it, re-envision it, because that's just too much honor for a people when we think of the Western hemisphere and Western civilization. There's too much honor to give to a black person. The distinction of carrying the cross for the Messiah when the Messiah couldn't carry it for himself. And I believe in the wisdom of God, he did that because he knew what was going to come in the future in terms of how descendants from Africa would be mistreated, how descendants of Africa would be brutalized and called everything but a child of God. God allowed the suffering. God uses suffering. Great things can come out of suffering, as we're going to see today. But God says, I'm going to allow this distinction, not to one of the apostles, not to a European, 
but to an African man from Cyrene. So today, let's call this message, The Gift of the Black Man Who Carried Christ's Cross. The gift of the black man, he's a gift to all of us. And he's going to teach us what it means to be a cross-carrying Christian. Because if one is going to carry your cross, you have a cross, I have a cross. The first thing we learn from Simon, as we're going to see today, is that you and I must be compelled. Secondly, you and I must be Christ-focused. And finally, you and I must be committed. Simon teaches us these three things, to be compelled with your cross, Christ-focused with your cross, and committed with your cross. Point number one, if we're going to be cross-carrying believers, like Simon of Cyrene, one must be compelled. We must be compelled. Mark chapter 15, verse 21, the Bible reads, Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. So they, the Romans, compelled Simon to carry the cross of Jesus. He was simply coming in from the country into the city of Jerusalem Perhaps he was a seeker. Perhaps he was a proselyte to Judaism. We don't know. But he's coming and he has his sons. He's coming in and there's a procession or dare I say a mob going out. Because Jesus would be crucified outside of the city. So he's coming in as a country boy. He's coming in from the country. And there's going to be an intersection that's going to happen here and They compel this man to carry the cross. Well, the word compel is a unique word in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written. It's found only two times in the New Testament, and it's found here in Mark's gospel, and it's found again in Luke's gospel. So this word compel in this context, it means to press into service to press into service. So they pressed him to serve. They pressed him into service, but it can also mean that you have been forced into duty. They didn't ask him to volunteer. They forced him into duty. They pressed him into service. He had no choice. Luke 23, verse 26, from the New International Version reads, As they led him away, speaking of Jesus, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. So if you put these together, he he was compelled. He was forced into duty. He was pressed into service. And according to Luke 23, they seized him. In other words, they grabbed him, maybe even arrested him. They they, they put hands on him. They seized him, and then they made him carry the cross. But the Bible says that they compelled this man because Simon did not have a choice in the matter that day. He was chosen that day. And I just stopped by here today to say to you that you don't have a choice on whether or not you're going to carry a cross for Jesus. You don't get to say, I don't want one. You don't get to say, I don't want to suffer as a follower of Jesus. Because if you're going to follow him as a disciple, then you realize that with following Jesus comes a cross, and with a cross comes some kind of suffering. For it has been granted unto us not just to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Reformed folk love to say that belief doesn't even come from us inherently. Belief must be granted to us from God. 
God grants us belief so we can put belief back in him. That's good. But they normally stop right there and they don't say the other part from Philippians 1 that not only does he grant belief, but he grants suffering to us. Because we've accepted this easy believism gospel that when we come to Christ, all you got to do is pray this prayer and go to heaven. And so much emphasis is on heaven that when you start going through hell, you think that the heaven was a ripoff. Heaven, 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 heaven. And we develop theologies that say that God wants everybody healthy, wealthy, and all of this stuff. Yes, he blesses us with health and wealth, but that's not the primary focus of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because there are people around the world who are going through extreme suffering, who are dying because they will not recant of faith in Christ. And we're complaining about, I don't want to wear a mask again. And we're complaining. And so if you're going to come to Christ, it's not a choice. You have been given a cross. And as a result, you are compelled to carry it. You're compelled by his love. You're seized by his grace to carry this instrument of suffering. I just want to encourage somebody right now that what you're going through, <sighs> this pain in your body, pain in your mind, pain in your money, pain with your relationship, pain, you're just struggling. That's part of your cross carrying. Don't despise it, accept it. The women studied Habakkuk not long ago. And the book starts off with a complaint. Why, God? Where are you at? Why are you allowing this to happen to the people of God? So it starts off, he's complaining, but it ends with a praise. Because he goes from complaining about what's going on to embracing what's going on. Because he knows God is using it, even judgment coming from Babylon, to get his people where he wants them to be. So, so they embrace what they were once wrestling over. And when we get to that place where we can embrace and say, hallelujah anyhow, and everything give thanks. I was born with a disease. I, I, re, I, I received a disease. I can't get rid of this disease. I know he's a way making a healer, but like the Hebrew boys, that's why I need the Bible. The Lord I serve is able to deliver me, but if he doesn't, we're not bowing to this situation because I'm a cross-carrying saint. And I'm compelled. I, I won't give up because I know, I know, I know. Simon may have said, uh, I don't want that. How do I know y'all ain't going to do me the same way y'all doing him? I don't want that. But he was compelled. It was a divine order. Ah. Why did Simon stand out? Why, why was he selected? to carry this tailor-made cross. Because every cross is tailor-made. It's got your name on it. Before I answer why was he selected, let, let me run down the street real quick. We, we enjoy when, when God sets up and gives us angels, you know. Because the Bible says that Jesus has uh, uh, given all of his children angels. So everybody has an angel. We, we like that. Those of us who know Jesus, he's ordained that we have a seat in heaven. We're seated in heavenly place. We like that. But when Jesus says, we've also ordained a cross tailor-made for you, wait a minute. You ever get a tailor-made dress or tailor-made suit, a tailor-made shirt? It's made with your measurements and specifications in mind. A tailor comes out and measures you from head to toe, measures you for what you're going to get. And those things are usually very expensive. They use the best of fabrics and all that, so it's going to fit you right. They'll even make it where if it's a suit, they'll put your name on the inside. They'll put your name on the collar. If it's a shirt, they'll put your name on the sleeve because it's yours. And so in eternity past, Jesus fitted each one of his children with a tailor-made cross with your name on it. It's built for your specifications. 
So when you say this doesn't fit me, you're saying that the tailor of heaven doesn't know what he's doing. When you say this is just too heavy, Lord, I can't handle this burden, you're lying. Because he wouldn't give you a cross that you could not bear with his help. It's tailor-made for you. Why am I going through this? Because God decreed for you to go through this. Because he went through something that was decreed for him from eternity past. And all of his followers know we're going to have to pick up one of these if we're going to follow him. Why did they choose this man? Well, 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 I think they chose him because, hey, yeah, he stood out. Sidney Poitier walked up in there. He stood out. Because you got Romans or Europeans overseeing the crucifixion and the scourging and all of that. Then you've got Hebrew people who were there, Jesus being Hebrew. So, so you've got the, all of this fanfare going on. And then here comes an African guy. And they, they're looking for someone to carry the cross because as we're going to see in a minute, Jesus was so depleted with blood and everything coming out of his body, having been up all night and beaten and all of that. He, he can't carry it much Longer, And so in order to get on with the crucifixion, they seize somebody. And his dark skin, this is just my sanctified imagination, weaponized him. Just as today, black skin weaponizes. We don't have to have a gun in our hand. We just have black skin on our frame. And and, and we stand out and grab him, get him, use him, use her, grab her. And they grab him. But above all, but above all, because I trust in God, this was a divine appointment. This was a divine appointment. So that's where as Christians, we, we can't stay earthly minded. Otherwise, we're going to fight, fuss, cuss, you know, re, uh, repay evil for evil. But, but we got to Look up higher and say, my steps, according to the psalmist, they're ordered by the Lord. So whether I'm walking on water with Jesus, they're ordered. Or if I'm walking through dry land through the Red Sea because he made a way, my steps are ordered. Or if I'm walking into a fiery furnace, my steps are ordered. Or if I'm walking into a melee. And God makes no mistakes. He, he has great attention to detail. God said, you're going to be my servant who's going to help my son today. He was compelled. Not so much by those men, but he was compelled by God. Seized by God. Chosen by God. And so are you. But secondly, 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 in order to carry one's cross, one must be Christ-focused. John 19, 17 says that Jesus, after having been scourged or whipped, with a cat of nine tails. That he carried the cross, John 19, 17. But when you interpret John 19, 17 of Jesus carrying the cross with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that mentions Simon of Cyrene. Those three gospels are called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means same I view. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in how they view Jesus. John views Jesus from way out in eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. So, so John has a different eye view than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they see Jesus primarily as the Son of Man. But here comes John, man, he's the Son of God. But you got to combine all of them to get a, a good picture, not a complete picture, not a whole picture, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You've got, you got to put them together. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it talks about how Simon carried the cross. So what it means is that Jesus started out with it, but he couldn't keep on going with it. So they seized, they selected. God chose Simon of Cyrene, this African, to carry it. Luke 23, 26 again. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. So if you get the picture, Christ is doing his best to walk 
Again, having been depleted of so much blood and, and having been beaten nearly to a pulp, he's unrecognizable. He has a crown of thorns on his head. He, he's trying his best to walk. He's staggering. And there is Simon behind him with the cross. Now, the cross that Simon is carrying is the cross that was reserved for Barabbas. Barabbas was a rebel. He was a murderer. He started an insurrection, and, and so they, they let Barabbas go, and Jesus ended up at the last minute because they, they rushed his trial. It was an unjust set of trials. He died on the cross that was reserved for Barabbas. He died on the cross technically that was reserved for me and you because we're as guilty as Barabbas. We deserve death just like Barabbas, but Jesus takes our place. It's called penal substitution. I know that's not popular today, but it's biblical. He took our place. The innocent one who never knew no sin took the place for sinners, died on Barabbas' cross. And there is Simon of Cyrene is dragging that cross behind our staggering Savior. And in order to follow Christ, he's got to keep his eyes on Christ. I'm trying to help somebody today because we all put our eyes all over the place, but we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And in order for Simon to follow behind Jesus, keeping his eyes on Jesus, that means he had to momentarily take his eyes off his two sons. Mm, you, you, did you get that? He came into the city with his sons, his pride and joy, both of them boys. But in that moment when he was just chosen, he had to follow behind Christ, which means he had to keep his eyes on Christ and off of his sons. So in that moment as a father, when he's probably worried, are they going to grab my sons the way they grabbed me? He's just got to trust God in that moment. Because Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I have to come before your sons. Some of us have trouble following Jesus because we've lifted our children to a place that borders on idolatry. And we're afraid to speak truth to our children, God's truth, because we have lifted them up so high. And then we wonder why they're turning out like hellions. Because we're not following what God says on how to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But your kids need to know that, yeah, you love them, but don't ever come down to a choice between Jesus or your kids. Amen. I heard that, amen. amen. <laughs> your kids need you to love Jesus more than you love them. Amen. They need that. That helps make them secure. They know when you idolize them and they're going to use you on every hand. But if you're like, as for me and this house, we serve the Lord up in here. That helps the kids know that there's order in this house. So they need us to love Jesus more than anything and anybody. And if Simon's wife was out there, she would need to know that he was focused on Jesus even more than her. That's healthy. That's, that's the right way. Why? Because as much as I love my wife, my wife didn't make me a human being. My, my wife didn't save me from my sins. My wife is not holding me together by the power of her word. My God is the one who's holding me together by the power of his word. He comes first in my life. He comes first in her life. So if you're going to carry your cross, you got to be Christ-focused. And not only that, not only with his kids, but that crowd was rambunctious, was it not? They hurling insults, threats, probably spitting on Jesus. And spit that was reserved for Jesus, disrespect that was reserved for Jesus, is hitting Simon. How come they don't like me? They don't like your Lord. Because you are the aroma of Christ. Some people love that smell. Other folk hate how Jesus smells. How come they don't like me? They don't like Jesus. 
So they don't like his kids. Christ folk. So, so, so you can't worry about what the crowd is saying. Because they got a whole lot of threats. They got a whole lot of ridicule. They got a whole lot of opinions. They got a whole lot of philosophies. So you got to know how to drown them out. Turn off Fox News. Turn off CNN. Turn it off sometimes. And open up your word. God, what are you saying in this hour? Open up your Bible. Listen to the Bible. It's the word. It's the breath of God. Because that will help you when the crowds come for you. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. I get shot at from both sides. I'm too conservative for liberals. I'm too liberal for conservatives. I catch it from both sides. And if I'm not careful, the crowd's voice will be louder than the voice of my God. But I choose to refocus just like a camera. You ever have a camera? And I'm not talking about the one on your phone where everybody now think they're a professional photographer. I'm talking about one of them boys that cost $2,500. I'm, I'm talking about one of them boys with exchangeable lenses. I'm talking about one of them Canons, them Nikons. I mean, those expensive cameras. Some of them have devices in them where they refocus themselves. That's a higher price point. But come on down a little bit because there are some, as professional as they are, you still got to focus them by hand. Because as expensive as they are, they still get out of focus. So what you got to do is to get it back in focus, you got to turn the lens. You got to turn it. You got to turn it to get the focus back. If anybody lost their focus on Jesus, you're seeing everything and everybody but him. You don't even know if you want to trust him anymore. You don't even know if you want to believe in him. I want to encourage you. You got to turn the lens. To turn the lens for us as Christians means to turn or repent. Ah, that's an archaic word. People don't like that word no more, but we're going to use it because it's a biblical word. It's the right word. You got, you're going in this direction. You repent, you turn like the camera lens and go in the other direction, the direction to follow God. You don't follow the crowd in wrongdoing, Exodus 23, 2. You follow Jesus and the road that leads to heaven is straight and narrow and only few are on it. But that road that leads to hell is wide and there's a whole lot of folk on those roads. But we are refocusing, turning, turn your eyes upon Jesus, the songwriter said. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and in his grace. Will you look at Jesus, the son of God, the one who said to Thomas, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I've seen him with the eyes of my heart, man. I, I know him and I know when I'm off. I know when my focus is off. So when you're carrying your cross, you got to keep your eyes on the one who carried his cross to save you. But then finally, 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 to be a cross carrier like Simon, one must be committed. Yes, one must be committed. We live in a world today where we want to quit everything. We start something, we quit. We start something, we quit. And even when it comes to walking with God, we, we start something and then we quit. You say it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Simon carried the cross for Jesus, as we said. Now, Jesus died on Golgotha, which is also Calvary. Now, history says, and even if you travel to Israel, some of the sites where they think Calvary was, it's on a hill. Calvary is on a hill or, or what some would call a mountain. So this means that as he's carrying the cross out of the city and to the Golgotha, the, the place of the skull, he has to take that cross up a hill. Can you dig it? He has to take the cross. He has to pull the cross. He has to drag that cross, whether it's the cross beam or the whole apparatus. He, he's pulling it. He's dragging it up a hill. You know when you're working out, the stab master is a beast. 
Running hills in sports. That's a beast. That's different. That's a different cardio right there. Doing them hills. And he's pulling it. Do you think he got tired? Yeah, he got tired. Do you think he had a thought of putting it down? Yeah. But he didn't stop. He didn't quit. He didn't put it down because he was compelled. He didn't stop. He didn't quit. He didn't put it down because he was Christ focused. And it showed up that this brother was committed. And we don't know how much those things weighed, but they had to weigh a lot in order to support a man on it. So it was a heavy load on his back trying to get it up that hill. Again, not knowing what all of this is about. He's following by faith. He hasn't figured it all out yet. And you haven't figured it all out yet. But you are called to follow by faith and trust God. Because sometimes it'll make sense by and by. In the army. I got any army guys in here? Any army guys? I got one, two, got a couple army guys. I've seen that when they train you, they train you, they put you in conditions to strengthen your stamina, develop your stamina so that in case of war, it won't be the first time you've been through something hard and uh, uh, we'll know that you won't quit on us. So they take you through training that's hard. And in the midst of training, they give you a backpack. And the backpack has all this stuff in it that you need and you march with the backpack. And in the backpack, they, they put stuff in there that, again, in case of war and you're separated from your unit, you can live on your own for at least 72 hours because there's enough stuff in the backpack. There's uh, food, hydrated food in the backpack. There, there, there's water, hy hydrogen packs, hydration packs in, in the backpack. There's a sleeping bag in the backpack. There's a flashlight. There's a first aid kit. There's medicine in the backpack. All the stuff is in the backpack, which can make a backpack weigh about 40 pounds to even 60 pounds, depending on how you pack it and what's going on. And so there's a picture. Look at that backpack there. Everything he needs is in that backpack, just in case, just in case. But they got to carry it on their back and they got to march. And they got to walk with that thing, that heavy burden on their back. But the beautiful thing is that burden on your back has everything in it you need to survive in case you come across a serious problem. I know that cross on your back and on my back, it gets heavy. Ah, I want to put it down. I'm tired of this, Jesus. The other day it was light, but this week it's heavy. But the thing that I'm carrying on my back is the very thing God is going to use to bring life into my life. Because if I try to save my life, I'll lose it. But if I lose my life for his sake, I'll find it. So I keep carrying this cross because he's developing stamina and perseverance in me. He's making me more like Jesus Christ, the son of God, who endured the cross for six hours. Despising the shame for six hours. Carrying the cross is one thing. Dying on the cross is something completely different. And Jesus endured that. And when you carry your cross, your assignment, your cross is your assignment that's personalized for you. Nobody else has your assignment. Nobody else has your cross. And just because he called you, that doesn't mean it won't get heavy and hard and hot sometime. But here's the thing, though. As you're carrying that burden, not only is it helping you, but that cross you're carrying is helping somebody else. Amen. Pastor, what do you mean? When Simon carried Jesus' cross, he gave Jesus some temporary relief. So what you're going through is not just about you. There are people watching you. Sometimes the suffering you go through is going to be liberation and ministry for somebody else. Because it ain't always about you. It hardly ever is. So when you're ready to get rid of this burden, 
Just think about the fact that God may be using you to make somebody else's load lighter. Now, we don't want to think about that because we're taught to think of ourselves first. But again, if we're following Jesus, we esteem others better than ourselves. We become selfless so that we don't become selfish. My goodness. Simon didn't put the cross down until the mission was completed. He didn't put it down until the mission was completed. I just want to encourage you, don't put it down. That suffering, that pain, that hurt. I'm not saying be a masochist for God. But what I am saying is that many times God will call us to go through the valley of suffering. But we got to realize it won't always be this way. Either here, it won't always be this way, but definitely not there, it won't always be this way. But I'm going to trust him. I'm, I'm going to be compelled to carry this cross. I'm going to be Christ-focused as I carry my cross. I'm going to be committed as I carry my cross. Because Simon didn't put it down until it was done. So therefore, I believe, I believe, I believe that when Simon died, I'm working this to a close, when he died, he, he went to heaven. And I believe God the Father commended him for carrying that cross. That's what I believe. I, I, if Jesus could stand up when Stephen was stoned, I believe God the Father could commend this black man, this African man, for helping his son Yeshua with his cross. He was chosen to do it. And so I believe he was commended in glory. And we should commend him now. Because what he did 2,000 years ago, which he didn't understand, didn't know what was going on, we're celebrating him today. And if you come from the African diaspora, all the more. Because you're like, look at God working through one of my ancestors. Because if he could pick up a cross, I can put down shame. If, if a black man can pick up a cross, I can put down an illegal firearm. If a black man picks up a cross, I can put down negativity. What an example he is. And he's to be commended. And speaking of being commended, I want to commend a lady today. Her name is Opal Lee. She's been called the grandmother of Juneteenth. Opal Lee. On June 19th, 1939, in Fort Worth, Texas, as a 12-year-old girl, her family moved into a white neighborhood, integrating it in 1939. But there were people who didn't appreciate their family's upward mobility, so 500 white rioters, is estimated, came against this family and burned their house down on June 19th. 1939, 12 years old. Well, she said, the fact that it happened on Juneteenth has spurred me to make people understand that Juneteenth is not just a festival. So she became a school teacher, an educator. And after she retired, she became an activist. And she began to campaign for decades to make Juneteenth a national holiday. See, what we might think was just happenstance. No, that was providence. And so for decades, she would petition to make Juneteenth a national holiday. And so she would walk 2.5 miles regularly, calling attention to the fact that there were slaves in Texas, Galveston, Texas, who were still enslaved 2.5 years, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation went forth in 1863. And so she would mar march 2.5 miles to call attention to two and a half years. And she did this year after year, decade after decade. And at the age of 89, Opal Lee made a walk from Fort Worth, Texas to Washington, D.C. And it took her four months four months, 89 years old, to call attention to this need to make this holiday or, or this uh, uh, celebration a national holiday. 
She also led marches in Little Rock, Arkansas, Selma, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She put forth a petition to make Juneteenth, the day her house was burned down as a 12-year-old girl. Something could have traumatized her, but she took the pain like a lot of us do as black folk. Like a lot of you do as white folk, Latino folk, you take the pain. What was meant for evil? You know, my God can turn it around and make it for good. So she started this petition and got 1.6 million signatures in her support. And on June 17th, 2021, two days before Juneteenth, last year, 2021, at the age of 94, President Joe Biden signs into legislation making Juneteenth a national federal holiday. And because of her work, with all that walking, with all that marching, the White House invited her because she played an instrumental role in seeing it happen. And, and she was there at the signing. And, and so when President Biden would sign these documents, he, he would hand many of the pens he used to her. But not only that, she got a standing ovation right there in the White House. And then the President of the United States came up to greet her and got on one knee. When last time you heard a President kneeling before someone, yet alone a black aged woman. You know why he did it? Because he was giving honor to whom honor was due. And I just stopped by to let somebody know that what you're marching with right now as far as your cross, what, what you're dragging as far as your cross, what you're struggling with as far as your cross, it ain't going to always be this way. Because either in this life, but definitely in the life to come, God is going to turn that struggle into triumph. Because from June 19th, 1939, when tragedy struck, horror struck, all the way to June 17th, 2021, where she experienced success and honor and joy, there was 82 years in there. That's why you can't give up. That's why the songwriter says, so, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I what? Lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Would y'all like to sing that real quick? We're going to close with this. Uh, 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 let's see here. Uh, uh, Mike Hicks, where are you? Where are you, Mike Hicks? Is he running? What are our final announcements, Savannah? Our final announcements are come out Wednesday, 6.30. Come out Friday, 6.15. And today we're going to be in the fellowship hall packing boxes, delivering boxes. So come join us if you have the time. All right. Y'all stand to your feet. He better hurry up before I start singing it. If not, I'm going to grab somebody to sing Acapulco. Anybody know that hymn? My wife know it. I ain't putting you on the spot, baby. All right. Let's close. There it is, mama. On a hill far away. Stood an old rugged cross. All right, all right.
Father, that is our prayer. Help those of us who are weary, who are tired. Strengthen us, O oh God, by your grace. Remind us that we're not alone. You are with us. Our brothers and sisters are with us. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege and the honor to suffer for your sake. To suffer for righteousness. To suffer in this world. And thank you, God, that you know how to turn suffering into joy, into reward, into honor. We trust you, oh God. Bless us now as we leave this place, but never from your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's cross-carrying believers said, amen. amen, amen, amen. Give Jesus a praise, somebody. And have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day.